Donnell Edwards' Viewpoints on the CWR Talk Network. And I'm your host, Donnell Edwards. We welcome all of our listeners in CWR Nation here in the United States, as well as our international audience in Canada, the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, Australia, Argentina, and our growing list of listeners around the world. Tonight's special guest is Ms. Marnie Posh, who is the owner of Team Posh Academic Coaching and is also a former school teacher. Frustrated with the myriad of issues in the school system, Ms. Posh ventured out on her own to pursue her passion to help struggling students tap into their potential. And that led to the birth of Team Posh Academic Coaching. Please join me in welcoming to Donnell Edwards Viewpoints, academic coach, student and parent advocate, Ms. Marnie Posh. Uh, Marnie, uh, please tell us about your purpose in forming Team Posh Academic Coaching and how you help students and their parents to survive the challenges struggling students face in school. Certainly. Well, first, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, my background is a little different in that I went and had my, received my master's in school counseling because through a career assessment I took uh, while in college, that occupation came up. And at my school, we never had a school counselor, and I was at that time a struggling student. And I was like, what an amazing career to actually get in with students and help them become successful at school. Well, after completing the program, I became a school counselor in a school setting, and I realized that what we were trained to do wasn't what we were being used for. And while the um, recommendation for school counselor to student ratio is 250 to 1, many counselors have 450 students to 1, and some even upwards of 600 students to 1 counselor. And I was seeing us being used in ways such as scheduling students. I was seeing us counselors used as um, lunch duty. You know, we weren't really getting the one-on-one time we needed with students to help them be successful, yet we were expected to produce these outcomes. And I said, you know, what is it that I really wanted to do with my master's? And I decided to strike out on my own and do exactly that. And I have a passion for working with students who are struggling finding their place in the school setting, and they talk to me about what they hope to achieve in school, what they like about it, what they don't like about it, and we sit together and we really work out strategies that help them, you know, become more confident in school and successful. Okay, so your background, did you ever get into teaching or did you go directly into uh, uh, counseling? I went directly into school counseling. So okay. um, so my husband is a teacher, so I have a great respect for, <laughs> for educators on that um, end of it. But I decided to pursue the, the school counseling portion of it. So did your experience as a counselor kind of prepare you for the uh, academic coaching that you're doing now? It did, most definitely. A lot of people think of academic coaching as tutoring, but the way that I usually explain it is that a tutor will help you with one particular subject and how to tackle that, whereas an academic coach helps with the process of learning and the tools and techniques that I help students with carry over to any subject, be it science or English or anything in between. Okay. Now, can you explain the role of the coaching relationship with the student and in some cases, the student and the parent, and how the student's teacher or teachers benefit from that relationship. Certainly. So the student is my client. You know, I always say to parents when they look at hiring me that, yes, while you might be paying the bill for it, that your child is the one driving the force, because otherwise I would just be another adult in their life telling them what to do, which is not the purpose of coaching at all. So the student might have goals that sound very different than their parent. Like, for instance, a parent might say, well, I want my child to get straight A's. The child might say, well, I want to hang out with my friends more. And you would think that those two have nothing in common. However, if the student says, yeah, I really want more time with my friends, but I feel I'm bogged down with homework, it might come out that the parent ends up grounding them 
for when they get bad grades. So while you can't control the parent's punishment or discipline, the student does have in their control things that, like, you know, putting a plan together to get work done, things like that, that then in turn free up their time to do things they enjoy. A lot of parents come to me after working with me for a semester and they said, I can finally go back to being a parent again. I no longer have to nag my child. I no longer have fights with my child over schoolwork because now they know exactly what they're doing and they're, they're confident and they're in charge. So parents see the benefit of the coaching relationship because they no longer have to have that kind of disciplinary um, relationship with their child where they're constantly arguing about grades. And then the teacher benefits because teachers have so many different hats that they have to wear. Um, you know, for instance, my husband is a social studies teacher, and he has 140-plus students. You know, he loves to give one-on-one -on -one attention to everyone, but he can't, you know, be as involved as he wants. So when a student has a coach working with them, the teacher, you know, has a little more freedom in not having to worry about the um, the constant monitoring of the student and having those, you know, assuming that the student improves, they no longer have to worry about the phone calls home to parent, behavior in the class might change. So teachers see a benefit as well. Okay. Now, what you're already kind of giving us an idea, but can you get a little more into what some of the challenges for these students, their parents, and their teachers are? I would say, especially since my, my passion is working with struggling students, a lot of it is, I think, the, the public school system or school system in general is set up for a student that can go in, do their work, turn it in, sit still all day, and, you know, go through the motions. And a lot of the students that I work with are very bright, but they're not a linear learner. They, they are thinking outside the box. They, you know, they don't do well following, you know, the typical line and towing the line. So I think if you try to put a student in a one-size-fits-all type of education system, it's not going to work for everyone. And I think that is where a lot of the struggles I see with my students come into play. Okay. Now, if you don't mind me asking, how long have you been uh, doing the academic coaching? And prior to that, how long were you in the school system? I was only in the school system about a half of a year before I decided to leave, and I've been okay. doing academic coaching for about two years now. Okay. Uh, the reason I asked that, uh, I, I wanted to ask if you feel like the things that students are exposed to today, all of the technology and the social media has had an effect on the learning styles of students today that's different from students maybe a decade ago. You know, it's, it's really interesting that you bring that up because a lot of the schools in my area, or the high schools in particular, are going digital. So every student has a laptop. All the classes are, um, you know, the teachers have Google Classrooms, things like that. And a lot of the students that I've spoken to do not like it at all. And you would think as, you know, technology um, bound as they are, that they would love it. But they are finding that, um, you know, teachers are getting work online and reusing it. Um, so they're just able to Google the answers. And there's not as much of a learning process that's occurring as much as it is uh, finding the answers. So I have found both straight A students and like, um, AP level students and struggling students have had issues with the um, technology in the classroom. Well, you know, that's, that's very interesting because that's just the opposite of what I would have thought. Now, uh, mm -hmm. based on your experience, both as an educator and academic coach, why is it you feel that some students struggle and experience great stress in school? I think there's two things at play possibly with that. The struggle, I think, comes from having different learning styles and different um, needs in the classroom. 
And I think the stress comes from this pressure that's put upon students to achieve so much at such a young age. So when I was doing my internship in a middle school, students in seventh grade had the opportunity to be on track to take algebra starting in seventh grade, which then would be a high school transcript, transcript course. But then by the time they get into ninth and 10th grade, then they're taking like, you know, trigonometry and, and calculus and things that their brains aren't prepared for. But meanwhile, I think parents think, oh, my seventh grader can take algebra? Like that sounds amazing, like they're so bright. But they don't think down the road to what that could actually mean. We also have the opportunity in Florida, I believe, to um, start taking classes um, at the community college at the sixth grade level which you, I would never recommend any child to do because not only does that start your college transcript, but then you're in courses not only with college-age students but also with adults as well. Um, so I think a lot of it is this um, perhaps perception, and as a parent I say this, that the immediacy of being successful may sound like a good idea, but you don't think down the road what that might mean for your child as they enter high school. That's very interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, this is Donnell Edwards Viewpoints, if you just joined us. And right now we're going to take a brief, brief break. And we would love to hear your viewpoint on our conversation this evening about surviving the challenges of school without stress with our special guest, Miss Marnie Posh. Just give us a call at 563-999-3660. That number again is 563-999-3660. When you call, please remain on the line, and we'll get to your call as soon as possible. That number again is 563-999-3660. If you have a comment or a question for our guest, Ms. Marnie Posh. When we return, uh, we will uh, talk some more about the experiences uh, Ms. Posh has had helping struggling students to succeed and reach their potential. So please stay tuned. This is the CWR Network. Hashtag one million strong. Hi, Mom. Is Claire's birthday party today? Me again, Mom. Where did I put my history book? Hi, sorry, forgot one last thing. Sometimes it's hard to concentrate. At school, I start looking out the window, and then I forget what I was supposed to be thinking about. I know it seems like I don't care, but I do. It's just difficult for me. Love you, Mom. Bye. Join parents and experts at understood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues to help your child thrive. Brought to you by understood.org and the Ad Council. In 50 feet, turn left. Driving so slowly. After a few drinks, I'm taking it slow. Well, you're not fooling the cop behind you. What? Get ready to pay in point one miles. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel. And a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I improved my credit score. You're kidding, right? Uh, no. How are we supposed to be the bad boys of electrosynth pop if you're out there being responsible? The band is about to be discovered. This is our year. Uh, yeah, you've been saying that for a while now. You think anyone in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was worried about their credit score? I never really thought that Of we were... course they weren't. Rock stars aren't supposed to think about that kind of stuff. We're supposed to think about how many guitars we've smashed, write aggressively sensitive power ballads, start questionable fashion trends, tragically break up and blame creative differences. All right, all right, just... 
I thought maybe it was time to take control of my finances, you know? Start using a budget. Get out of debt. Set some goals. A budget? Debt? Set some goals? Listen, I knew that we'd have our creative differences, but I was hoping they'd involve a little more scandal. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. This is the CWR Network. Hashtag one million strong. Welcome back. If you just joined us, this is Donnell Edwards Viewpoints, and our very special guest is Ms. Marnie Posh, uh, owner of Team Posh Academic Coaching. And I, Marnie, uh, I was intending to ask you uh, before we started how to pronounce your name. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Well, it, it's close. You know, uh, it's it's Posh, like cash, okay, but that's okay. okay. <laughs> I get it all the time. So Okay. Uh, that, that's important to me, so uh, please, please forgive me for that. Uh, that is and, uh, completely okay. Don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, Marnie, could you share with us what some of the specific issues were that frustrated you when you were teaching that inspired you to start your coaching business to help struggling students? I know you talked about some of it, but could you give us some, some more of the things that uh, really uh, influenced you to want to do more I think and and let me just say that any educator out there you know be it school counselor or you know in the classroom as a teacher you know I have such uh, you know admiration for for what they do because um, you know I have known so many wonderful teachers and educators throughout my life and throughout my daughter's life and the work that they do is sometimes not appreciated enough. Um, but in my experience, the reason that I left was I c- had students coming into my office that had direct needs. You know, they were um, at risk of not graduating. They were at risk of failing classes that they needed for education um, to, to graduate. And there wasn't enough time in the day with all the hats that a school counselor had to wear for me to effectively help these students that I desperately wanted to do. And, you know, I had some students who, um, you know, they would come during their lunch period and try to get my time. And I was working from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. to get the has-tos done just so I could have time to spend with a student. And um, they... There was at our school, and I'm sure at many other schools, there was in-school suspension. And one of the things I would like to do is, if I got a notice that one of my students was in there, is I would go and visit throughout the course of the day and pull them out and take them on a walk around the campus and kind of talk about what got them there, what steps we could take to resolve it in the future, and things like that. And, you know, the administrators were, well, that's not your job. And to me, that's the very core of why I got into school counseling is to help students, you know, who are at risk to to be in their lives and learn more about their story and, and help them get to where they want to be. And I wasn't, I wasn't getting fulfilled in that way, having 450 students to one of me. So I decided that, you know, I would find that fulfillment elsewhere. Okay. Now, you mentioned also uh, earlier the high student-to-teacher ratio for school counselors and Mm -hmm. how that was a problem. Uh, Could you tell us more about how that high student-to-teacher ratio creates problems both for teachers and for their students? Well, certainly. So with... So the job of a school counselor is different at the different levels. Most, A lot of schools don't even have a school counselor at the elementary level. Um, in middle school, you do a lot more of the one-on-one work with students. And then in high school, you have the extra pressure of making sure that students reach graduation requirements. So at the school I was at, I had about 100 seniors that you had to check and double-check, you know, throughout the months of August through, well, pretty much to the end, to make sure they reached 
graduation requirements. And that pressure, you know, alone was supposed to be our entire focus, which then if that's only 100 of your students, that leaves about 350 other students who may be falling through the cracks without you noticing. And you think, too, about teachers when they have that many students and they have testing that they have to prepare their students for. They're going home on the weekends and doing homework, grading, and everything. It's an immense amount of pressure. And if you want to have outcomes of having successful students, I'm not sure how you can expect educators to achieve that if you have such a high ratio of students to teachers. Because at the end of the day, you're only one person. As much as I would like to be, you know, able to do the work of five or six people, it, it's not possible. Uh, that's, a, that's a significant problem. Uh, do you know, since you've been out of the uh, the school system, if that's in, that ratio has improved any, or, or is it still uh, an exorbitant number of students for 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 counselors? I feel that it's probably the same, and it might even be getting higher because. Um, with um, everything that happened with the devastation in Puerto Rico, we've had in Florida, you know, with welcome arms, um, many citizens come, well, American citizens, but they've moved from the island to the mainland. And so they're starting school fresh, and they have, you know, severe needs from what they experienced over there. So that's getting added into the caseload of school counselors and teachers as well. Okay. Now, uh, as, as a counselor, uh, you said that the administrators told you that your job was not to really get involved uh, with the student that was uh, put into the uh, the timeout and probably doing some other things that, that, that you did to help your students. Uh, do you feel that the role of, of counselors and, and teachers – uh, today should change and that you should be more more proactive not just from the the teaching perspective but from getting more directly involved in other things that might help the, the student to be successful I'm not sure if the role per se should change I think there's a great need for um, mental health um, uh, help in the school system and probably adding additional school counselors um, would be beneficial and if school counselors were actually utilized in the way that they were trained I think you would see a lot of improvements in um, student morale but I think the roles as they are currently established if everyone is being used in the way that they should be used are fine as they are Okay. Now, since there are numerous issues that contribute to the struggles that some students have in middle school and high school, what can be done? A report from the National High School Center entitled Meeting the Needs of Significantly Struggling Learners in High School, a look at approaches to tier intervention states, and I'm quoting, when high school students are significantly lagging behind their peers, Schools have too often guided these students into special education services, even if they do not actually have a disability. Adopting more targeted instructional strategies earlier within the general education setting would in many cases be more appropriate and effective in meeting the needs of many struggling learners, end of quote. Now, Marnie, do you agree or disagree with implementing tiered intervention with the use of targeted instructional strategies earlier in the education setting and it's, it's suggested instead of uh, placing students in special education or alternative learning classes or schools who should not be there. Oh, definitely. I definitely agree that, you know, intervention should start as young as possible. And I think RTI, much like any other um, implementation in the school setting is is great in theory. It's how educators implement it. 
and I don't have a lot of background in RTI, but I do see how it works at my daughter's school. And the first level would be to provide the same services to everyone, and then the next tier is to do more individualized um, intervention, and then with the hope that you never get to the third level. Um, I think a good teacher would probably start implementing the um, strategies amongst their students as need be without any official, um, what's the word I'm looking for, any type of like official intervention. But I can definitely see um, where that could be necessary at times. Okay. Thank you for joining us this evening. We would love to hear from you. And if you have a comment or a question for our guest, Ms. Marnie Pash, give us a call right now at 563-999-3660. That number again is 563-999-3660. When you call, please remain on the line, and we'll get to your call as soon as possible. That number again is 563-999-3660. We'll be right back after this break, and when we return, We'll discuss some of the challenges experienced by students in our public school systems. This is the CWR Network. Hashtag one million strong. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio, you're busy, which is great because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. <laughs> they can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. I'm jumping in with my clothes on. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Listen and imagine. It takes five seconds to send a text, and for those five seconds, you're driving blind. Life is worth more than a text. Stay alive. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. Dave, what are you doing? Just sending a gift to Dave2037. Who? Me in the future. I save a little money from every paycheck as a gift to Dave2037, so he can spend it on things like anti-gravity boots or a hologram Doberman, something cool like that. I think Dave2037 deserves it. He worked hard. What are you getting Steve2037? I guess I was thinking Steve2037 would just fend for himself. Well, all right. But don't expect to be borrowing my anti-gravity boots. You want to have money in your future? You got to start saving now. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. Hey, let's just hope Steve2037 doesn't get his hands on a cold time machine because he is going to come back here and knock some sense into you. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Having trouble finding Connor Middle School? Would you like directions? No, why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Finding lowest airfare to Istanbul. No, I'm, I'm tired of fighting with him over homework. Home walk restaurant need a review? No, I need help. He's very smart, but his mind wanders. He's disorganized. I think I understand. Oh, good. Finding best potatoes for French fries. No! Russet, fingerling, Yukon oh, gold. Why don't you understand me? Sorry, I was trying to show how Connor feels every day. Frustrating, isn't it? Redirecting to understood.org. For the one in five kids with learning and attention issues, this is what life can feel like. ExploreUnderstood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues designed to help your child thrive in school and in life. Understood.org, because understanding is everything. 
Brought to you by Understood.org and the Ad Council. This is the CWR Network. Hashtag one million strong. Welcome back again. This is Donnell Edwards' Viewpoints, and thanks for spending part of the evening with us. Our guest tonight is Ms. Marnie Pash, owner of Team Pash Academic Coaching, and we're discussing surviving the many challenges of school without the stress. When I made contact with Ms. Pash to be tonight's guest, I asked her how she would feel about discussing some of the problems black children experience since she is white. Ms. Pash responded that she had an unfiltered invitation via phone to the discrimination people faced while working as an intern at a black law firm, and the people she talked with on the phone assumed she was black and opened up to her. So before getting into the challenges black students experience in public schools, please share with us why you feel comfortable as a white person evaluating the problems children of color have in public schools? Well, you know, and that's an interesting question, because on one hand, I I don't feel completely comfortable being that person. Um, I can only share what students have shared with me and, and my own personal experience. So I would never suggest in any form that I could be the voice for anyone's individual experience. But you were talking about my experience at that law firm, and it was truly an eye-opening moment for myself because when I spoke with the clients on the phone, the things that they were sharing with me were under the presumption that I was an African-American female. And it was, um, it was, truly life-changing for me to have that experience. And I think I also shared with you at one point someone came in with a gift for me, and when she saw who I was, you know, her jaw hit the floor because (laughs) she was under the impression that I was black. And the conversations that I was able to have with people and just listening to their experiences, I think is very important for anyone because through my training as a school counselor, you know, we we had to take courses in multicultural counseling. And what I walked away from from that class is that I didn't enjoy having a textbook tell me about the cultural um, experiences of other people. Because for me, I think the most important thing you can do is listen to the individual experience and never have a presumption of what someone's life is like. And I think perhaps that's why students connect with me, is that I'm genuinely curious about their experience and what their lives have been like. I always told my students when they came in that, you know, I have this computer with this huge record about who you are and your discipline and your grades and everything, but I don't care. The only thing I care about is a mutual respect that you and I have whenever you come through that door, and I just want to know who you are. I don't care what your teachers say about you. I don't care what the deans say about you. Just tell me about you. And I think listening is really just the way to connect with students. And you know, that's that's one of the things that uh, really impressed me about you. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on my program is uh, you seem to be a genuine person with genuine concern for students. And that's uh, a trait that's just lacking far too much with uh, some of the people in, in, in uh, our education system today. And uh, like you, uh, I, I really want to commend those who do such an outstanding job, but there are those who are in the system who don't have that kind of concern, and uh, that's that's a problem. That's that's an issue. Now, although we've touched on this subject to some extent in tonight's discussion, let's focus now on the challenges in our public schools that are germane to struggling students, particularly children of color. Now, Marnie, in your experience, 
both as a teacher and now as an academic coach, what challenges are most common for all struggling students? Well, I'll touch on all students, but I, I would like to touch upon um, the the socioeconomic and also perhaps cultural struggles of students that I've seen in the school system. I had okay. an opportunity to work at a school that had a very diverse population feed of a very wealthy community and a lower um, economic community. And what I found interesting on my first day, I said, well, how are the cultural relationships on campus? And they were like, you'll, you'll see very soon. And what I saw was certain teachers, not all of them, but everybody expected students to behave in a certain way. And if they weren't acting in the way that they were, quote, unquote, supposed to, they were labeled the troublemakers, sent to the dean's office, suspended, sent to in-school suspensions. And my mentor recommended this book to me by uh, Ruby Payne. And it was about um, students and poverty and the behaviors that you see in neighborhoods, how they play out in the classroom as well. And then when you have teachers who are not exposed to those situations and that kind of um, behavior within a community, they seem it as uh, acting out or being disrespectful, where at home it's very natural way to behave. And apparently the district was given this book, but I think a lot of educator, uh, educators forgot that they had read it um, because kids were being disciplined in ways that they would never be disciplined for their behavior at home, if that makes sense. Yes. Okay. Very good. Now, uh, in June of last year, uh, to follow up on, on your, your, your comments, uh, it really leads into segues into this very well. Uh, in June of last year, we had a, a live online virtual town hall on the crisis in America's schools. Now, during that town hall meeting, which, by the way, is still available for those who haven't heard it and would like to, it's available on demand on our homepage at uh, Blog Talk Radio. And that uh, uh, link is Blog Talk, B L O G T A L K Radio dot com forward slash c w r talk radio and uh, dr juanza kanjufu was one of the panelists and he expressed concern about black students being taught by white female teachers who don't know how to relate to them now let's listen to dr kanjufu is the future of the black race in the hands of white female teachers because 83 percent of America's teachers are white and female. Only 6% are African-American, and only 1% are African-American male. I'm also concerned that between 17 and 30% of America's teachers in inner city schools either are not certified or did not major in the subject that they're teaching. And the fact that 40% of America's teachers leave within five years. Now, Marnie, uh, not to say that all white female teachers don't try to teach black children or other uh, children of color or from uh, other ethnic backgrounds with the same vigor that they do white students, but it's obvious that it's difficult, if not impossible, for a white teacher to totally relate to the experience of a black student without having had the experience and experience the racism and the discrimination in their own life. So how do you respond to Dr. Kanjufu's concerns, not only about black children being taught by white female teachers, but also his other concerns, teachers in general, not being certified in the subjects they're teaching? No, I, I completely agree that it is um, a concern. I guess my immediate thought is, what is the solution, um, and is there a way that would ever make it acceptable or okay? Um, 
because it is a problem. In education in general, it's getting harder and harder to find teachers. And um, we have a school near me um, called Evans High School, and I want it to work there so badly. It was at one point an F school, and they raised it. I think they're a B now. Like They have a community health center in the school, um, and it just – it was a school that I was really passionate about working with. Now, the issue was that they had so many resources within the school that I felt that they were looking for a school counselor to be more administrative than hands-on, which is why I ultimately chose not to go there. But um, I think that it's just becoming harder and harder in general to find teachers, let alone those that are competent in issues such as multiculturalism or things of that nature. Now, there's a shortage of teachers anyway in the first place, if uh, my my understanding is correct. And so then not having that large of a pool to choose from uh, makes this problem even more difficult. And, and, And it's a serious issue because some children are being cast to the, to the side and not getting the uh, attention that they they deserve, and therefore not having the opportunity to fulfill or realize their potential. Another one of the uh, uh, guests on that town hall meeting that uh, we had back in June had uh, another uh, raised another interesting issue, and uh, let's listen as she uh, brings that to our attention here. There is a stereotype. Of for African Americans, for Caribbean, for Hispanic, that they can't learn, that you're just banging your head up against the wall because they come to school, there's not a lot of parent involvement, there's many kids in the class, there's incessant poverty in many of these school districts, and therefore, teachers standing before these type of children had all of those stereotypes in their head before they ever became an education major. Some of it is not some of it is not even on their conscious level, but it's America, it's the images, it's the social media images, it's the news, it's the news broadcast, it's the radio broadcast, it's the constant portraying of those populations as an enemy of progressive society. So you take a teacher who didn't have that experience and then you put that teacher in that kind of urban school district. And they first have to deal with the disconnect. Many of them had never been around minority populations. They weren't prepared. Uh, Secondary education prepared them with curriculum, but it didn't prepare them with the psychological curriculum that would help them to understand and to reach these children at a potential level in which they could achieve better if the person or the faculty or the leadership that was in charge of those schools expected them. You know, a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it's racism. And since there was all that rush on the teachers and pressure on the teachers to fulfill the mandate of federal testing, and there was a lack of funding, you have a conundrum, an enigma in a problem. Can these issues be resolved? Absolutely. But we have to go back to the drawing board. So uh, you kind of alluded to the uh, same comments that Dr. Pendleton just made when you talked about the school where you were and some of the teachers had expectations of how the students were supposed to conduct themselves and when they conducted themselves in in a manner different than that, then they were uh, were punished. So uh, that's that's also a, a problem. And obviously, not all teachers are, are like that, uh, and not all white teachers are like that. But uh, there is uh, there are far too many uh, who have these preconceived ideas of how people are supposed to act if they're people of color, or that they cannot learn because they're people of color. So that's that's a serious problem, and it is something that we need to uh, uh, to uh, spend some some resources and some give some thought to on uh, how to uh, to resolve that. 
Now we discussed oh, many absolutely. of the Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I was uh, just gonna say absolutely. I wish you know, I wish I could live in a fantasy world where I could disagree with both of those speakers. But the the fact of the matter is that everything they said is a hundred percent accurate. And I think that it's so difficult for people to admit, and I guess by people, I'll say white people, to admit that there's a problem, to even acknowledge a conversation about it. But until that conversation starts happening and people go into that conversation without being offended, then I don't see how we can make any progress in that area. And, you know, that's that's uh, one of the things we have to do and one of the things we promote on this program is uh, trying to uh, unify and have uh, open conversations about the issues that we discuss. And even though there, there are problems with some of the white teachers, uh, we have to be honest. There are some black teachers that uh, mistreat black students as well and have preconceived ideas and uh, because of embarrassment or, or whatever reasons they have, uh, will not give the those students, uh, the students from low-income families or students who may be struggling or having a difficulty in learning, their attention and their time to try to help them. So th- there's, there's uh, problems all across the board, and we all need to come together to try to figure out this because in the end, the, the child, is the one that suffers. Now, we discussed right. many of the challenges uh, students face in school and how some students struggle. Now, let's shift gears and talk about how students and parents may work together with teachers to successfully survive the struggles without stress. Now, I just want to talk about several of the areas your team works to help students with. Now, one of those is, is study skills. Uh, how is it that we can help students who lack the study skills that they need? Well, I start by telling my students that I can't change what you learned. If that was possible, I would never make a child take another math class as long as they lived. But that was because I spent summer school every summer in math for math. But you can't change what you have to learn. But you are in absolute control with how you learn it. So if you don't like writing flashcards, don't do it. But if you want to, you know, write a song about it or something, if you want to get creative with it, you have absolute control. So study skills, when I was going through college and high school, I thought study skills meant highlight every word in the book. And if you saw some of my college textbooks, you would laugh because everything was highlighted. But that's not learning. That's just, you know, making your textbook into like a neon design. So you need to find ways that are going to get the information into your head. And then the next step is you have to test yourself to actually make sure you know it. And if you know it, we'll put it to the side for a few days. But if you don't know it, then you have to teach it to yourself in a new way. Because the key to learning anything is not just repetition, but it's repetition and uh, variation. Because if you have a student and you tell them you've got to sit down and read this book for five hours to study for a test. I don't know any student that's going to find that fun or exciting. But if you give them different options and creative ways to learn, it might make the process a little more enjoyable. I don't tell my students that they're ever going to love it, but let's try to make it a little more exciting than it normally is. So that's what I offer in terms of study skills. And if if teachers, I don't think a lot of teachers really teach study skills, it's just kind of like, even parents, it's like, did you study? Well, their kid's going to say, yeah, but, you know, does that mean just putting your head down on top of the book and hoping it goes into your brain? You know, we really have to look at what studying is and how it works for each individual student. Now, that kind of leads into my next question, because if I understand correctly, you work with parents on study skills also from a, a, a parent's perspective. So, how do you help parents uh, who may or may not have good study skills to help their children to develop good study skills? 
So all of my students have access to this online um, course called the Anti-Boring Approach to Studying, and parents have access to that as well. So if I have a session with a student and let's say they need to work on procrastination, I would say to the parent, hey, you might want to go through this particular module, you have a conversation with your child about what they like about it, what they don't like about it. Um, there's different study techniques. Like one of the things I like to, to show my students is if you have flashcards, why not make a game of it? If you have a word like, um, let's say you're studying for a vocab test, put them into horror movie and comedy movie. So if you have a word like ominous, ooh, well, that sounds like it would be a horror movie. So you put it in that pile, and you have to make a story about why that works in that category. And you can do it. I've had students use that technique with chemistry, too. I mean, you wouldn't think about it, but you can, you know, if, as long as you can connect a story to it, it's going to help you learn it. So parents have access to the course. The kids have access to the course. And they can kind of work with each other if they need um, studying assistance at home. Okay. Now, another uh, big area, I would imagine, is, is motivation. Uh, some students uh, just obviously don't have the motivation that they need. So how do you help the student and also help the parent to help the student to be more motivated? So every student is motivated by something different. So not everyone wants to go to college. Not everyone has to go to college. Um, there was just an article I read the other day about how the construction force needs like thousands of new people. Um, so you have to find what's going to motivate the individual, excuse me, the individual student. Because if I said, oh, you want to get good grades so you can go to college, and they, have, they hate school and have no desire to do anything after um, high school with education, why would that motivate the student? But they might find out that they can go to free tech school if they have a 2.0 or above while they're in school. And that way they're getting free education and can get a job right out of high school making more than their friends. Now that might be a motivating factor. Or as I said earlier, with the social thing, if parents are grounding them for their grades and they want to go and go out on Friday night, that might be a motivating factor for them to, to get um, – to work and get their grades pulled up. But the trend that goes with all of my students as far as motivation goes is it doesn't feel good to be a struggling student. It doesn't feel good to have Fs or to put off your work or to have zeros. You know, all of my students have said, yes, I, I procrastinate. Yes, I want to watch, you know, binge watch on Netflix instead of doing my work. But then the next question is, how does it feel? And I say, it feels terrible. It feels like a weight. It feels like I'm never actually doing what I love because I know I have all this other stuff, you know, or I'm waiting for my parent to check progress book and they're going to, you know, yell at me any day now. So feeling good is really a common motivator amongst all students. Okay. Now, what final words of wisdom do you have for uh, our listeners to help struggling students? You know, when it comes to school, try to find what you're really passionate about and what's going to make it enjoyable for you. Because if you can find some source of pleasure in it, whatever that may be, and find it for yourself, it's going to make the school process a lot better and a lot smoother. And as far as the parent side, I'm, I still have the elementary age students, so I'm sure my advice would be different once they start middle and high school. But I would say ultimately enjoy your kids. I mean, they're going to come home with A's, they're going to come home with an F, but at the end of the day, just always try to find something to celebrate about your kiddos. And that is going, you know, they might not appreciate it in the moment, but down the road they're going to remember those times you celebrated them far more than the times you uh yelled at them. Okay. Uh, Martin, it's really been enjoyable uh, talking with you, and we thank you so much for being our guest tonight and for all the information you shared about surviving the challenges of school without stress. Now, do you, uh, is your business, do you only take clients from the uh, Florida area, or do you take uh, 
are you set up so that you can accept clients online from anywhere around the country or Oh yes, I, I work with students all across the country. The the, okay. the marvels of technology. So um, we we work uh, via Zoom, and um, and that that works really well because we're able to share papers and websites and everything. So yes, I work with students across the country. Okay, would you tell our listeners how they may uh, contact you? Certainly. If you go to www.teampash.com, you can access our website. And um, certainly feel free to reach out via email with any questions. It's teampash at gmail.com. Okay. Thank you so much again. And we hope that you will come back again soon and join us here on Donnell Edwards' Viewpoints. Uh, Have a great evening. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, We also thank all of you in our CWR Nation Uh, worldwide listening audience. Please join us again next Monday at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time when our guest will be one of the nation's leading experts on mental illness, Mr. Mike Benny. We will be discussing the theme, America's Mental Health Dilemma. We leave you tonight with one of our, uh, with our song of the week. Since tonight's program was about survival and successfully overcoming challenges, we selected the theme from the movie Rocky IV, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor, which is appropriate to conclude tonight's program. Have a good night and a great week, and we hope to see you again next Monday for Donnell Edwards' Viewpoints.
This is the CWR Network. Hashtag one million strong.